This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome to the 146th episode of the Stratocast. I am your host, Dale O'Donnell, and I am joined by Brian Murphy to discuss the latest topics of conversations surrounding Manchester United. In our last podcast, I reviewed the 4-0 win over Liverpool, so we don't plan to get carried away by revisiting that match with more analysis. But it has been interesting to see Jordan Klopp spend the first week of their pre-season tour moaning. I hope that continues into the new season. But to get the ball rolling with this show, United have arrived in Melbourne for the next phase of the pre-season tour. They'll play Melbourne victory on Friday, and we'll talk about that game later on. But Brian... As someone from Ireland like myself, you, you've travelled across the world, not just Europe watching Manchester United, but to live as well in Australia. Do you know, what was it like being a United fan who has lived in Australia, being so far away from Manchester, when nowadays you can consider yourself one of the most Ireland's most regular attendees at Old Trafford? Yeah, it was, it was initially, I suppose, when I moved over first. My move to Australia was something done very off the cuff. Um, it kind of happened overnight. As most of my decisions in life, I wasn't particularly sober when I made the decision. But flights booked, visa booked, off we went. Got to Australia, never really considered much about the whole, how big a move it was and how far away it was. Um, started coming into football time. And I was like, right, how am I going to watch these games? They're on at like four o'clock in the morning. What the fuck am I going to do? Getting out of bed at four o'clock in the morning or half three in the morning to watch a football game. So I did one or two games at home inside the apartment and I'm sitting down on my own watching, having a cup of tea. She's inside in bed and obviously I wake the neighbourhood shouting when we score or concede. Yeah. And I'm like, no, this, this, there has to be more to it than this. This has to be, this can't be the way lads watch games over here. So I started to look into, um, was there anything around? Like, is there a bar or sports bars that people meet up in? And I had no real knowledge or past experience of supporters clubs. Um, but I found out there was one in Brisbane. And timing-wise, it was great because I just kind of found them just after the Sydney tour around 2013. I think if memory serves me right. Um, they had just been made official as a branch by United. And they were meeting up in a bar called the Pig and Whistle down the riverside in Brisbane. Absolutely amazing. Um, British, I suppose, sports bar, you call it. Right on the water. So... I decided I'd land in. I mentioned our Facebook page, I think, at that time, and I said I'd land in for a game at like one or two o'clock in the morning. So I headed in, United short on, and uh, didn't know really what to expect. Like, is it going to be two lads sitting in the corner having a point watching telly, or what's it going to be? And I walked <laughs> in, and there was just absolute mayhem. Fucking okay. mayhem. Flags all over the bar. Lads falling around the place, jumping up on top of each other, singing and chanting. Like, this was, it was pre-match. Manchester-esque but about 4 million miles from home the closest you could get at the time it was yeah it was, it was actually like not to have experienced what it's like over there it's difficult to give you the context of it but it was really really good like it was proper atmosphere before a game and um, I walked in and I just happened to meet catch the eye of this other Irish fella another baldy fella like myself 
he spotted me coming in and he walked over and he was like, well, I'm Keith. I'm, um, I run the supporters club here. You're welcome. Where are you from yourself? And we just got chatting two Irish lads and he introduced himself. To, he introduced me to the, the committee of the, the supporters club and a few of the members and stuff. And uh, I've been like ever since I probably one of his, he'd be one of my best friends in the world. For, for, for someone listening, obviously unaware as well of your background with the Limerick supporters club. Um, what do these groups typically do when they when they gather? I know you mentioned that this group they they attend games, but even here in Ireland, like I know groups that that don't do that. What are the kind of you know the responsibilities that all these kind of groups share? So I suppose when you to to become an official branch, like an officially recognised branch with Man United, where you get a given a ticket allocation to use for your members for game for home games during the season, that's probably the biggest bonus of it. But like if you were to ask United what's our core reason for existence is to promote the club and spread positivity about the club and bring in more members and get Reds together and create a community of Reds and whatnot. If I'm honest about it, it's getting as many people together to go on the pace together, to go to games together. Yeah. To make make more friends who are United fans, I suppose, is a, a great way of putting it. And just to spread your, your network. So, like, I've true supporters clubs. Like, I was part of the supporters club in Brisbane. I was on the committee for a while, and I briefly ran the supporters club over there before moving back here and starting our own branch here in, in West Limerick. Um, my network of United fans has gone from a couple of lads I went to school with to people in every single corner and country of the world. Yeah. So it's 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 a fantastic way of, I suppose, spreading your your, your knowledge and spreading your, your your friendships around the world. And Reds, um, the supporters club, like, what got me into the supporters club in Brisbane, like was night one. It was just an amazing scene. It was just it was as good as you'd get back home over there. And I, when I started to look into what they do, like Jesus, the the amount of effort them lads put into running the supporters club is unmatched to any supporters club I've seen anywhere else because. They literally wanted to become like a family, and it is. It's amazing. It's amazing because, well, yeah, because I wouldn't be as travelled. I haven't lived in Australia or any side of the the world that way. But for my eleven going on twelve years of running Shirty News, I've met lots of people from across the world in Manchester at games and through social media and people that have that have contributed to the website down the years and even readers that get in touch from across the world. You know, it always it, it always amazed me because it opened my eyes up because, you know, back when you're younger and naive and that there probably is even a snobbery from Irish United fans that probably feel that, oh, they don't take it as seriously over in Australia or, or that kind of thing. Now, my perception has completely changed from down the years because what I really appreciate and something you briefly mentioned from your time in Australia is if you actually look at some of the times these people get up to watch Manchester United every week and like there, there, there was times last season I think every United fan would say that, that were, it, was, it was challenging but I can guarantee you the people that we're talking about in Australia were still getting up at three four o'clock in the morning do you know what I mean to, and yeah. you, ha- you have you have to respect that like just like on this podcast we show a lot of respect to, to United fans that go home and away um, and we do special segments on it, but I think this, you need you also need to to tip your hat to to fans across the world that that, that that do all these things when they've got work and family and and different things. You know, yeah. it's um it opens your eyes up to it. But as well fr- from your time in in Australia, the A League, um, it's obviously the 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 big professional league in in Australia for football. Um, did you show any interest in that whatsoever from your time there? Yeah, I am. Um... Obviously, when I moved over, look, I, was, I knew I was going to miss going to football. It's it's a part of your life, and it's something when it's taken away. Even in the summer, you get you just miss going to games and meeting people. So, I suppose initially, I looked into getting involved in just going to a club near me, the nearest professional club I can go to. So, I was living down outside Sydney, a place called um, the Entrance, near a club called Central Coast Mariners. Yes. Um, yeah, I went to one or two games. Like, I mean, is, is that is that where? Sorry, is that where Mike, Mike Feeling was, was was for a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we we plucked him from the obscurity of Central Coast Mariners to the <laughs> top. We, we missed those short shots. But um, yeah, like you can picture a football stadium. One side is completely open, looking out onto the water in forty degrees heat in Australia, constant sunshine. It's it's unbelievably picturesque. That's about as great as the football got though, because 
when I say it's it's questionably embarrassing at times, it's pretty bad. It's pretty, pretty bad. It's pretty forced. Not so much the level of football, but it's the way they're trying to push the game on people over there. Like my first or second game, I went to like Central Coast Mariners against Newcastle, another team from New South Wales. And uh, they call it the F3 derby. So the F3 is the motorway between Newcastle and Sydney. It's all this kind of like real Green Street, putting names on derbies and kind of making it into something that's not. And I was, I was outside the stadium with a few Irish lads and we heard a few local Aussies going, oh, the Newcastle lads are coming off the train now in a minute and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I was like, Jesus, fuck me, boys. This is crazy. This is going to kick off something serious. About five fat lads came off a train and waddled their way down towards the ground. They kind of half saluted each other with these little death stairs and that was the whole sum of the Green Street night. So that was kind of a piss take at the start. <laughs> Went into the ground where I didn't know what, really what to expect again, what would the atmosphere and stuff be like. And we're sitting there, a pair of shorts and a sleeveless top on, absolutely roast them. And uh, the first, the ball goes down the wing, goes out for a corner and next thing the Tannoy system comes off and it's like, okay, home fans, Central Coast Mariners have got a corner. Let's get behind your team and clap. <laughs> and at that point, I walked out. <laughs> that's that's not even an exaggeration. It was that pre-Americanized, forced bullshit. Um, did a few more games ever after that. Did a few games in Brisbane when I moved to Brisbane for a few years. A bit more enjoyable, but nah, it's it's... It's not a great level. They're doing their best to grow the game over there. Don't get me wrong. There's new clubs popping up here and there, but it's just, it's substandard. We've run run a feature with a Melbourne Victory fan who actually supports United as well um, by the name of Clarkie, who runs a popular podcast on on Victory. And um, speaking to him about A-League and and the arrival of Nanny, former United winger who signed for Melbourne, in the past few days, speaking to him about what that's going to bring the Australian game, um, they, they do pretty much ex- kind of accept that the standard is very, very low, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done to kind of promote the game. But they, but they think this arrival of Nani is absolutely huge, and they're nearly comparing it to the arrival of Del Piero when he went to to Australia not long ago. So. Hopefully it does that, Brian. I'm sure you'd probably like like to see the game develop because we all yeah. in in every country. Hundred percent, yeah. Like I was I was there around Del Piero's time. I watched him play a few games, and it does make a difference when these bigger names, even though they're coming to the end of their career, even when these bigger names do go to these in inverted commas lesser leagues, it does attract more of a crowd because I would have gone to games just because Del Piero was playing and it was something else to do on a Saturday night. Um, the A League needs to get more of that. Like they've had a few, they've had a handful of ex Premier League and ex European leagues decent players turn up there, but the money isn't as big there as it is in the MLS. So trying to attract them players, I think they struggle that way. They're kind of leaning towards the bottom of the barrel a bit more and trying to get the best of a bad bunch as opposed to getting like your Henri's and your Juan Pablo Angels and your Beckham's and that kind of thing going to the MLS, which helps to boost it a hell of a lot more. But, uh, no, I w- I'd love to see it come on more. Yeah, there's the, the, the Australian football fans, they're absolutely fantastic and they're they're addicted to the game as much as any other one. So they deserve a better league, of course, 100%. With United play Melbourne victory on Friday, I'm not going to ask you to profile each player in the squad because that would be nonsensical for our listeners. Um, but what can, you ex- what can we expect in terms of standards? Granted, it's the same from when you left you know you talked about that it's that it can be embarrassing at times but but even though our players are not quite 100% fit this will be Melbourne Victory's first pre-season game as well do you think we'll give them a good hammering? Um, I always look back to games like Port Vale when this question comes up through the years and go yeah we should <laughs> beat them quite considerably but are we capable of getting done 1-0 90-minute header? Mm. Yeah, of course we are. <laughs> God only knows it's a lottery, but like that, it's a pre-season game. I don't think anyone's too concerned yeah. about it. Maybe apart from Jürgen Klopp who's having a bitch and one because they got <laughs> done in during the week. But <laughs> no, nah, it's it's look, it's more of an exhibition. I was at I was at the game in Sydney. I, I think it was 2011 or 2013. Um, it's an ex- it's an exhibition. It's a chance for the fans over there to see a club that they love that they can't get to see week in week out or even possibly ever. Might be one of their only chances to ever see the clubs. So it's an exhibition game of football. It's about getting fitness. It's it's about seeing a few names on the field and 
results aren't really important, I think. Brian, we'd know a fair bit about it from being living here in Ireland, but there there is a, a section of the League of Ireland um, fan base that I guess would have a bit of a snobbery um, in a sense that they, they wouldn't like English teams and you know we kind of support our own kind of thing. Is there that in Australia as well with some of, say, the big A-League fans, do you feel? Don't think I ever came across it, no. I think, I think that mindset here comes more from historical and maybe political reasons mm. more so than football reasons I think okay. it's more the kind of old um, Ireland England kind of rift up through the decades as opposed to Australia but versus no, but, England but, but, really. I, I, I get that but but I do also feel that if, if you go to countries like like say for instance Spain and maybe it's not the best example because it has some big 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 teams in a big league and a, a, a league that sees teams in the Champions League every year but it's considered strange in country in some of these countries to to support a foreign team. So you'd have those kind of ultra yeah. ultras who are traditionalists to feel that you should like imagine live, growing up in Amsterdam and being a Manchester United fan. It wouldn't really make a lot of sense. It wouldn't, no. But I suppose we're looking at that from. I'm sure some perspective. someone does that. I'm sure someone. Is of course, do. There. Do you know, I'm sure. Of course, but, do. But I suppose primarily we're looking at countries that have relatively successful or relatively high name leagues whereas the Australian League is is a new newly formed league it's only a couple of years old realistically yeah. speaking they had an old an older league but they restarted as the A League um, I don't think there's that that focus on we can only support Sydney FC you shouldn't be supporting a team in England or, or Barcelona or Real Madrid or whoever because like the people have grown up there watching these star studded big high glamour teams Whereas the team they're watching locally might not have existed five years ago, so I suppose that's kind of makes it a bit different. I know we're going to move on to a few topics around Manchester United now, um, some transfers and some of the the big topics of conversation. Really, yeah. something I wanted to touch on more because I didn't really get a chance to, to do it on the last podcast from the Liverpool game was um, David De Gea's performance now I know you didn't see the game but I know for a fact you've heard about how he came off his line on more than three occasions and just to talk a bit about that and not his performance specifically because it was good but these are promising signs right because we've both had a conversation about Eric Ten Hag and what we've read about his demands for a goalkeeper but what we've seen on Tuesday was a clear example that David De Gea is going to listen to the new manager and is at least is going to try. Now, we had kind of fears in the past whether he would do that, but do you think that, looking back, is that a bit harsh on De Gea? Because he's not someone that's ever caused problems before. To kind of, for us to suggest that, oh, let's kind of throw the towel in on him, maybe a bit knee-jerky, was it? Yes, the De Gea one is, is it's quite a strange situation because the fan base is so fractured on everything, obviously, but De Gea is a point of contention because some people just think he's absolute dog shit, which is nonsense. Yeah. He's not. Like he's a he's a top class goalkeeper. He doesn't have certain attributes, or we thought maybe he didn't have certain attributes that he hasn't shown. He's not a bad goalkeeper by any stretch of the imagination. Just the game has changed. It's like right and left backs. There was a time when they were supposed to be defenders first, attackers second. The game has changed. They have to be as much attacking as they have to be defending. So, um, yeah. I saw a lot of talk about him improving his sweeper-keeper style against Liverpool. Probably highlighted, there's a guy I follow on Twitter called Moz, who's the most anti-David De Gea person <laughs> that has ever grown two legs. I think everyone listening to this podcast with a Twitter account knows a Moz. You yeah, know, someone yeah, who there's hates... Always a Moz. Yeah, there's yeah. always a Moz that hates De Gea. I'm gonna check my timeline every morning when I wake up yeah, to look for your yeah. night news, and there's this, there's always a montage of fucking clips who yeah, uh, of yeah. someone who has sat there watched ninety minutes of a match to look at a few points where De Gea fucked up, and in these videos you don't see those match winning saves. No, you don't. But the point about Maz is, I hadn't seen the game because I was at work at the time, and I just popped onto Twitter to see what was happening, and the first thing I saw. There's a tweet from Moz, stats about sweeper-keeper improvement, tree movements to do this, and all this lovely stuff about the hair. And I was like, hang on a second. You spent the last seven or eight weeks fucking tearing this fella apart. And all of a sudden, he must be doing something right, because if Moz, yeah. who hates having the hair, yeah. is tweeting positivity, it must be doing all right by me. Um, is it a sign of the future and things to come? Don't know. Yeah. Um, 
It's like when Rangnick came in and we pressed for 45 minutes. It looked great the first game. Is it going to last and go long term? Who knows? Hopefully, hopefully it might turn some players back or some fans back on his side because ever since the fax machine broke, he hasn't done too much wrong for us, has he? Yeah, I, I think for me, <clears throat> it was more of a relief. It was like kind of setting aside my worries a bit. And the worries that were there, like like for me, thinking back, the reason why I think it might be a bit harsh is De Gea has been such a fucking good servant to us for so long. And not just a good goalkeeper, been our player of the year for, for X amount of years. Um, we probably should give him the benefit of doubt here. Uh, until it's very, very clear that the way Ten Hag is playing, that De Gea is actually a massive problem in that. If that's the case, then we come back to it. But I yeah, suppose, I, Dale, what, I, what I'd see in that one, Anthony Martial, another player with high points of contention, um, he was absolute shit last year. He went off to Sevilla, where he was more shit. But now Ten Hag's come in, and all the fans are like, oh, hang on. Clean slate, fresh start for everyone. Anthony Martial, number yeah. nine up front, he's our striker. Where's the same energy for David De Gea or for Harry Maguire or for Fred or Scott McTominay or whoever, another, yeah. any other player that's been getting shit off everyone? If you're going to come out and go, oh, hang on, no, Tony Marshall came from France, he's back again, he's going to bang him in for us, even though his track record for the last 12, 18 months has been absolutely fucking horrendous, should you not have the same energy towards our captain or our goalkeeper who are going to be there for the season Harry Maguire isn't leaving Manchester United David De Gea isn't leaving Man United are you going to spend the whole season in the stands or on Twitter going ah no he's shit can't stand him he's useless if that's the way you're going to spend your season I'd fear for your mental health because but, but, but also with support. yeah you're right because those people you're talking about if if ever Ten Hag comes out this summer just just talking gibberish for a minute. Um, if he comes out this summer and signs a new goalkeeper and, and fixes this problem that people are talking about, they will then quickly jump on to the next one that they want out of the club that is the yeah. biggest problem and that every week we'd have to moan about because those people are never, ever happy. And I remember back when, when, when Twitter started and we launched Strike News and Alex Ferguson was Manchester United manager and Manchester United... Yeah. We're winning things every season and winning Premier Leagues. Those people were still there. Um, Michael Carrick was a player that I remember. They got an awful groan at times, and I, I did. We did say we wanted to talk about 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 that. So I'm delighted that it popped into my mind. Um, you uh, uh, you tweeted a few weeks ago your your kind of summary of of, of support Michael Carrick. Um, tell us what it was. Michael Carrick was a strange one for me. Um, I never as I tweeted it was just something that was going through my head I tweeted that I didn't really appreciate or respect how good a player Michael Carrick was until about two years before he left us and it was kind of a nothing throwaway tweet but it blew up because the amount of people who felt the same way was outrageous Carrick kind of went under the radar I suppose because he wasn't a flashy haircut, social media, 40-yard screamer goal kind of player. He would just do his job as a limousine footballer, sitting in midfield, popping balls about the place. And because he wasn't that flashy player, I suppose we were used to the high tempo of Roy Keane going clattering people and the, the screamers from schools. This was more of a normal, hypothetically boring footballer. Piano? A piano, correct. <laughs> um, yeah. He he was just he was a player I couldn't get and it was my own I suppose being younger and being more naive yeah. towards watching football I didn't understand how important he was but then the day it clicked with me I can remember watching a game and I was like holy fucking shit this guy's amazing yeah you know and it just it clicked it should have clicked years before that and that was kind of why I tweeted it because I I regretted the fact that I didn't get that much quicker so then I went away and read his autobiography which was a brilliant read as well I was going to. A lot of games during that time as would have been a teenager, um, and 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 you know as as you grow up and you start to kind of you you open your eyes a bit more to different things. It was around that period. Now this was after the time. This is when Carrick was beginning to be appreciated. It was it was then when I kind of noticed that well, you really see more when you're at games than when you're sat at home watching it on TV, because Carrick was doing so much work 
off the ball, off the ball. that you yeah. wouldn't have seen on TV. And it, it, he kind of became one of those first players of these social media clickers, what we're talking about, that people jumped on. Now, I remember what was, what was kind of said regularly about Carrick back then by the, by the critics. Um, and some of those people now including yourself, will put their hands up and say I was wrong. But one of the, the criticisms that was always levelled at Carrick was that he passes sideways the whole time. And I remember there was a really popular Twitter account that used to go viral. And they used to post these like, clips like what we were talking about with the hair of Michael Carrick passing the ball sideways the whole time. Now, if you're at the game, you might be able to have a great understanding of the last 30 seconds or so why he played that pass. Or maybe 20 seconds on, you might understand why he played the pass because it opened up something else. But Carrick, Carrick was a shrewd operator. And I think, yeah, he, he, he was a re- he's a really good example of a player that was underappreciated for a, for a long time. But, but when we started to appreciate him, we could really see what a fucking amazing player he was. Yeah, and he was, and an amazing, an amazing character to have in the dressing room, an amazing personality to have around the club with all accounts, seen by the fact that he ended up managing us there for a few games. So he must be very well highly regarded by his fellow pros and his and the club in general. I have to ask you a question on transfers because it's it's the summer. I know you yeah, love favorite them. Topic. Uh, favorite topic. Favorite topic. Yeah. Uh, which transfer this summer is really getting on your tits, and you're at the point where I want it done now. That might seem obvious to most people listening because they're all going to jump out and say it's the young, it's the young, it's the young. But it's not. There, there's isn't oh great. <laughs> um, but but on a side note, what I, what I was going to say was, United have been slow on quite a few fucking deals. We're still waiting on Christian Eriksen. Bingo. We okay. We we're still waiting on Lisandro Martinez, which should be this week. We're still yeah. waiting on De Young, which should be this week. But like, which one? Your which one is that? If I see one more tweet, the coming days are important. Transfer fee has been agreed down to personal terms. Regurgitate, regurgitate. Claw my fucking eyes out of my head. Regurgitate. It's doing my tits in. I've never seen a summer so bad. And I know it's because United are slow in the transfer market. I know it's because things are getting dragged out. But Jesus, give us a break with all the rewording of the same tweet for seven weeks. There's only so much human beings can take. On the particular transfer that's bugging me is Christian Eriksen. Um, Christian Eriksen's a free transfer. It's a free fucking transfer. We don't have to bargain with a club. We don't have to argue with a club. We don't have to try and make sure the club will accept this amount of money for him. It's a free transfer. All they've got to do is check him out medically. Granted, there's a bit of history and a bit of past there. They might have to do some extra checks. But Jesus Christ, if he can play football, he can play football. Here's your X amount a week. Announce him as a Man United player. Get it done, like it's a free transfer. How can it take this long? Then we've got the Frankie de Young saga. There's metaphors upon metaphors I could throw at this. But uh, does Frankie de Young have any interest in joining Man United? Personally, I don't think so. I don't think he has high up nor low down any interest in joining us. He's in a horrible situation where the club that he wants to be with owes him 17 million quid or whatever it is. They don't really want to give it to him. He doesn't want to go. And why should he? Why should he leave and be owed 17 million quid? Are they off their tits? And now Barcelona want us to pay it. Or they want us to cover the fee that includes the 17 million or try and convince him not to take it. Lads, grow up. You owe him 17 million. The man was given a contract. Pay it off. Let us make the move if you want to make the move. Is he digging his heels in because he wants his money? Is he digging his heels in because he wants to stay at Barcelona? Does he have any interest to come to United? All depends what social media account you read and what hour you read it in because it changes by the minute. But I'm sick of it. I'd prefer if we just went away and bought some lad from League Two who shows an interest in playing for United or wore a jersey one time or something because the Frankie de Jong transfer is doing my head in. I think, that, I'm I think a lot of this is being done on purpose from Manchester United. I think if you remember, and I don't think they're doing it to, to annoy fans, um, at all, I think they're doing this to frustrate the media, and I'm not talking about delaying transfer proceedings, but I'm talking about the way in which stuff is getting out of the club. There's been a dramatic shift in that this summer. If you remember back, um, in pretty much all time in recent years, when it comes to transfer window, the newspapers release their stories at ten o'clock, between ten half ten, maybe eleven o'clock some nights. Yeah. If you pay attention to that now i do because we're covering the news on straight news every day 
you will see that this summer, at half ten, ten o'clock, some nights, there is no Manchester United story. And what that tells me is that daily briefing that used to previously happen in previous years, that's gone. That's not happening anymore. And some of the big hitting journalists that cover United are not writing as many stories this summer as what they previously did. And what we're seeing as a result is because the deals are taking long, these journalists don't have anything to update us on and they're providing us with regurgitated bullshit. That's what's frustrating us. It's not actually yeah. Manchester United's dealing because if you <coughs> if you honestly ask any United fan why they're pissed off with United's negotiations this summer, none of them have sat in on it. None of them have heard the shit that Barcelona have swung in the past few 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 weeks. You know, you've got Juan Laporta that comes out saying that um, he wants to keep Frankie de Jong if he can take a wage deduction but a day later he's speaking to Manchester United in a meeting and he's trying to sell Frankie de Jong you know so there's a lot of rubbish that that does the rounds and you have to understand too that some of this stuff is being leaked by Barcelona and pretty much every story that I'm seeing when there's an update every day and I mentioned the updates every day aren't coming from Manchester United it's quite clear because our journalists are, are not Providing these stories, you know, you're talking about the James Duckers, the the, the Jamie Jacksons, the Neil Custis. You'd, previous years, you'd, you'd see stuff from them much more regularly. But what you're seeing from other people is, it's like it's come from Barcelona where every little snippet is to feed their narrative. And they always want to control the situation. And, it, you know, it's been so tedious that after this, the young deal, I'm still confident it'll happen. Um, I don't want to deal with Barcelona again. But that's been just so annoying. And, and you think in regarding our recruitment, what Manchester United have stressed um, all summer is that they only want players who want to play for Manchester United. And they've stressed the time and time again that it's an important principle and any player they sign will have to satisfy that test. Now, I've said for a long time that I don't buy into the whole narrative that De Jong doesn't want to come to Manchester United. That's not to say that people close to the situation haven't told me otherwise. You know, some people are spreading the, the narrative that he is not interested. Now, what I think, this is my own opinion, what is going on is at the beginning, I said this on the podcast, that I think Frankie de Jong was saving face. Um, saving face with maybe Barcelona fans and not wanting to come out and upset them. And as a player that probably has a lot of respect for Barcelona, which he has, he didn't want to go down that route. I understood that. But the further I thought about it, I still think he's saving face. But it comes down to the money that he is owed by Barcelona. Now, they owe him £17 in wages. Savage money that they owe him. And he's probably saying, I'm going to play my cards right until the time that they agree that deal and I get that money. Because he's not leaving that club until he gets that money. Yeah, I don't blame him. And, he, and he's right to do that. I mean, he's owed the money. It's his wages. They were deferred or whatever the term is. Just cough up. But the thing about it is Barca can cough up. So it must be fairly pissing him off when they see announce Rafinha. Yeah. For, yeah. for 60-odd million quid. So look, I can see, on, on, from his point of view, of course, I can see he's going to get frustrated with looking at that. What I did like about United's transfer business this summer was the Tyrell or Tyrell Malassia deal. Yeah. That was something, like they've talked about changing the way we operate in the transfer market. That was the first time we saw cleverness or a bit of cuteness out of United. Nothing happened, no one said a word about it. Another club agrees a deal and next thing United go, was well, that the fee he's going for? Sound, yeah? We'll pop in there and take him for that. Instead of, of old, United would have gone in for Malaysia. Another club offers 15, they'd look at us and go, well, they're going to give us 30 for him. So that's the United tax straight up on top of it. We avoided it. Bit of cleverness. Let another club agree a price. Let another club agree a fee and step in last minute. No doubt they were talking to this Malaysia fella on the sly saying, come here, we're going to pop in and get you. Like, and, just and, and play to, the game. To their respect, I know it hasn't been announced. I know it took a bit long, long than what I needed to. But they did the same thing with Lissandro Martinez by leaving Arsenal sniff around them first and yeah. then to swoop in at the end. Because once Arsenal made two or three bids... But once Manchester United started their bidding process, Arsenal did not make a bid. And that's quite telling. Yeah, and I like, we wanted to see that from United. We yeah. wanted to see a better approach to the transfer market. Not going out and buying these 
big name marquee signings and fire half a million a week of them just to get them so we can sell jerseys overseas to fans who like to see that or look, fans anywhere I'm not saying overseas but in general fans who are into big name players more so than the club I, you want to see United being shrewd in the transfer market and you want to see him play hardball with clubs and, and, and bring prices down be a bit more clever on the, on the financial investment side in the transfers but Martinez seems to be a transfer that, that's ticking that box Malassia has ticked that box Frankie De Jong, is it ticking the box or are we going to cave at last minute? Are we just going to fire the money and have to get it done and save face because we've spent all summer. One bird doesn't make a summer, I suppose, or one swallow doesn't make a summer, but we're after him all summer. This one kind of has to get done yeah. for everyone to save face and it has to I, get over the line. I suspect that Christian Eriksen and Lissandra Martinez will be done before De Jong. But it wouldn't surprise me if two... Or maybe three of those deals acted as almost a kind of domino effect and to get the ball rolling that they all happened in quick succession. Um, yeah. But that said, that the young deal, um, it was previously reported this week that while Richard Arnold and John Marco were in Barcelona meeting with the club, they, they set a Friday deadline. So it'll be interesting to see if, if, if those reports are true in the coming days. But moving on, um, I wanted to ask if there's been anything you've seen of Ten Hag so far that's made you think, right, he's winning me over already. Or do you think he's just going to sell us this lovely story and turn out a bit like Van Hal? No, I... Ten Hag is a curious one because I didn't know an awful lot about him before we, we were approaching him. Obviously, I've watched the odd IS game. I've seen his, what he's done with IS and stuff, but I haven't seen much of him as a person or I've never really listened to his interviews or anything like that. What I've liked from him so far since he's came in, I like the way he carries himself. I like the way, I like the cut of his jib as an Irish way of saying it, I suppose. He's got, um, he's got this presence about him. He looks like a fellow who just doesn't take any shit. He's got a very hands-on approach and training, which I like. He's in there, he's in the middle of it. Like I saw a clip, I know they're probably PR clips or whatever, but not being not going down that road for a minute. There was a clip from Lambaste and Sancho for misplacing the pass the other day, and I was like, Yeah, that's exactly what Sancho should get for fucking around and training and misplacing the pass. Give him a little bit of a bollocking and tell him what you want and what you demand from him. Could I have seen certain previous managers doing that? Maybe not. Um, I like the fact that he seems like he's a hard ass. I like the fact that he seems like he knows exactly what he wants. He seems confident in himself, which I think is very, very important in a job, the size of the United job. The confidence he has in himself seems to be there. Um, we haven't seen a whole pile from him, but what I've seen from him has been positive. I've liked it. I've I, I bought into it. I'm on the Eric Tin Hag Spaldy Reds train, baby. Good to hear. And I see another one of your tweets during the week that's that popped up and, and got me thinking. Um, it was about a section of the fan base making it wrong for kids to have or to wear the new United shirt, which was recently launched. Like This baffled me. Now, not that I was surprised to see that some people have this opinion, um, because I can't imagine stopping my son from experiencing the excitement that I had in my younger days whenever a new United shirt came out. You know, regardless yeah. of my politics... And sheer hate for the Glazer family, um, what and what they've done to my club. But I'm sorry, you know, my lad won't be not getting the shirt because of it. And back, yeah. to, like you know, back to the question itself: Is this something that you've seen a lot of on social media in the last week or so? Yeah, it's it's. There's a Twitter in particular has a has a dark side of troll accounts that spend their whole entire day searching for anything they can possibly put. Hashtag Glazers out. You're a Glazer apologist. You're funding the Glazers. Whether it makes sense or not, they just batter it out constantly. Now, the statement in itself is not wrong in certain contexts, but come on, that's their kids. The Glazers have done enough damage to the club. They've fucking annoyed every one of us. They've stolen millions off us and billions off us. Don't let them steal the childhood that we grew up having as Reds. Don't let them steal falling in love with a club that we've all fallen in love with. You can't take that away from a kid. And if someone turns around, if I buy my son the latest United jersey because he wants it, and someone tells me he, he, I shouldn't have, fuck off yourself, will you? 
Who do you think you are to tell me my son, who's only a child, who doesn't understand who Joel Glazer is, or Avi Glazer, or any of the rest of them dickheads? How's, how do you tell a child they can't have a jersey because these crooks came in and, ra- and raped our club for fin- finances? It's, it's nonsense. You know, I can get these, it. These morons that are spreading this crap, right? They haven't got kids of their own. Um, and secondly, what they're pushing is so, so dangerous, right? Because I remember years ago and having discussions with fan groups about getting the younger demographic of Manchester to United games and making sure that they weren't going to City games, right? So this is a conversation that we were having a few years ago. And if you turn around to a young child and he says, I want to be a Man United fan, and you say, yeah, you can be a United fan, but you can't get those new kits every year. Well, those kids aren't going to support Man United. No. Like, the, a, ch- a child's mind isn't capable of comprehending what we can all understand and see going on at the club. It's not possible. I mean, Jesus Christ, be realistic. They're four years of age, five years of age. They want their jersey. They want Ronaldo on the back, or they want probably McTominay on the back because he's unbelievable. Do you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But... You can't tell a, you're right, you can't tell a child they can't have it or they can't like daddy's a Man United fan, your grandmother's a Man United fan, your dad's your your uncle's a Man United fan, your whole family are United fans. You want to be like them, but you can't wear the jersey because there's these bad men who own the club that are really naughty and we don't like them. Grow the fuck up a small bit, will you, and cop on to yourself. Yeah. Grand yeah. say say it to an adult. I don't I don't care if someone says it to me. I don't particularly I don't buy the latest jersey. I haven't done it for years. I've got the odd present of one now and again. Yeah. I, don't, I haven't bought the latest case. I won't be buying it this season. It's not necessarily because I don't want to fund the Glazers. I've just grown out of it. I'm pushing yeah. 40 years of age. I don't particularly buy into that much anymore. But this, this nonsense of going after kids. Like I saw a girl put up a picture. Some girl on Twitter put up a picture of a young child with a new United jersey in it. And the, the comments on that tweet, they made me feel physically sick that the poor girl had bought a kit for a kid and was getting absolutely hammered for it by these faceless I, accounts. I mean, I, come I sh- on. I, sh- I shouldn't laugh, but it's just ridiculous. Yeah, like ridiculous. But even to the next extreme, like, another, I'm sick of being told what to do as a United fan. I'm absolutely sick of it. In the whole entire spectrum of you should dress this way, you shouldn't do that, you should do this, you should say that, you shouldn't sing this. Get off everyone's fucking case and let people live a little. For the love of God, we the amount of happiness we get from United in the last few years is minimal enough not to have it all taken away by these dickheads preaching to you. Like, focus on your own life. Is your own life that sad and pathetic that you've got to go after everyone else because they have a Man United hat on or something? Like, grow up. Get yeah, over it. Yeah, it's, it's nonsense. It, absolute it, nonsense. It's, it's all very, very silly. But And back to more, more important matters. Wayne Rooney has quickly returned to management. He's now the head coach at DC United. Did the move across the pond surprise you? Um, because his stock has increased since taking the Derby County job, which, you know, it was that was kind of stripped from, from beneath him because of the way the club was being run. But his his job as a manager um, received lots of, of plaudits. I thought it was a very strange move. wasn't expecting it at all at all. Um, his time at Derby was well received by their fans. They were seemed to be in love with him. Um, in general, he was getting good feedback or, or good reports on his ability as a manager and doing quite well at Derby, a club that was in turmoil, I think. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the, the fall through of the American guy who was coming in to buy the club, when that didn't happen, that might have put the last name in the coffin, speculatively. Um, <clears throat> if you believe the media again, Rooney was dipping in his own pocket to pay players' wages. That tells you the measure of the man again. Couldn't believe he went to the MLS. I thought he would have hung around and probably picked up another championship-ish job. Um, I think, I think I maybe I'm dreaming this. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was he not asked about going to the likes of Everton? He said he he wasn't ready himself yet. Yeah, yeah. So like, he's realistic in his ability and, and he's realistic in his journey as a manager. He's got to earn his stripes. But I didn't think DC United was a club or even a, a league that I thought I could see him going to. But Look, fair play to him if that's what he thinks is is the right career choice. He knows better than I do. Yeah, no. I, I, the more I talk about, it, I think I think it's a good move for Rooney because we mentioned that he's a young young manager, still 
the very early stages of his managerial path and from previous interviews on Monday Night Football with Sky Sports he, he made it very clear that he's real, realistic about what he can do at the moment as a manager he knows he has a lot to improve and he kind of clearly has in his own mind a path that he wants to go down but if you think a little bit more about it in the past year there has been more stuff in the media <clears throat> about Rooney and his family they had that court case with Rebecca Vardy um, and a lot, of the, a lot of kind of dirty laundry was, was put in the media and I, you know you think more about it and the situation that developed at, at Derby County Maybe this is a move for a few years where they can just go and fucking enjoy a bit of time in America again and, you know, move to Washington where they're, they're, they're really, really liked and and then come back in a few years' time when he has more experience because there, there'll be no shortage jobs. There shouldn't be, no. His stature in the game is is, is massive. He's, he's got good stock. Um Literally, as you were talking there, I was just thinking, I was kind of nodding along with you. Yeah, he probably, you know, one of the reasons... It could be bandied about for him moving. Is the British media yeah, yeah. just get out of get out of the limelight for a while? The American media will blow him up because he's Wayne Rooney, this big massive football star. Yeah. They're going to put him on a pedestal and give him all the all the good times. If he I think in England, he deserves that. I fucking think he deserves that. He fucking deserves that. Yeah, yeah. The British, the, the English media, and the British media, like we know what they're like. They're vultures. They're waiting for someone to fuck up. They're waiting for someone to make a mistake. The second he loses three or four games, they'll be on his case. And the agenda, Rooney's not good enough to start up. He's better off getting out there for a while, like you said. Do, do a few years over there, learn his trade a bit more. Come back when he's more ready and maybe more capable of taking on that that type of pressure. One of his teammates from yesteryear, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, still a lot of rumours about his future and where he's going to end up next season but there is a claim from CNN Portugal that a club in Saudi Arabia have offered £210 million for Ronaldo £30 million of that to United if true Brian take it or leave it when I saw the report um, I don't know if we have any golf fans out there but it struck me like John Ram would live golf, the new Saudi Arabian venture in the golf world. Ram was asked, would you leave PGA golf and go to live golf to the Saudis? And he just said, would 400 million really make that much difference to my life considering what I've earned already? And he wasn't saying this in a dickhead way. He was being realistic. He was like, no, I wouldn't. But I've made enough money that I have an amazing life. That extra money won't change things. Does Cristiano Ronaldo need another 200 million? Would it change anything for him? Not really. Of course it's not. He's he's multi, 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 multi-millionaire. The money side of it looks great in social media. It looks great in TV reports. I don't think he would ever come into account with him as a, as a player, the money side of it. So his decision would be easy enough. I couldn't see him in any interest whatsoever going over there. United-wise, would I take 30 million from Cristiano Ronaldo? Pinning it wasn't to a direct rival. I would, in, you know, in the morning, if we had a striker to replace him. I think the situation we're in at the moment... We kind of need Cristiano Ronaldo for another season to get us on to next summer and see what's out there because at the moment we don't really have much else unless Anthony Martial, the rejuvenated saviour, comes back and catches fire. We're going to be depending on Ronnie for goals again. Yeah, maybe. I, 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 with the Ronaldo situation, it's just... It shouldn't surprise me because I'm, like, I'm, I'm not surprised by it, but the timing of it is so, so poor. And it's the, 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 maybe as time goes on, we will learn that this was pushed heavily from, from Mendes because Ronaldo has been very quiet, at least publicly, about it. And Ronaldo is, is, is likely to stay at Manchester United. So when I was thinking about it, I was just like, are we going to get a good season out of him? And I'm in no doubt about it. I mean, no doubt about it, because Ronaldo pissed off a lot of United fans before by by talk, by the slave comment and, you know, making it clear he wanted to go to Real Madrid. But if we really think back about it as well, and another kind of angle to put on that, was Alex Ferguson asked him for one more year. And in other situations, you look at even Cesc Fabregas at Arsenal when he, when he was asked by Wenger to stay for one more year. He did it and did, didn't do much, trying to towel in. Cristiano Ronaldo was fantastic in that last year for Manchester United. It was absolutely terrific. He wanted his move. He got his move. And Alex Ferguson said that was fine, but I want one more year earlier. 
And I think the way in which he played that year, even if he's unhappy right now, if he stays, he's still scoring goals. To go back to that Alex Ferguson time with the one more year, he agreed to it. He still played sensational. And he still fucked off and said we called him a sl- we treated him like a slave. Yeah, so no, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. It, it does. It has left. It's always been a point that continues with me. It's always pissed me off. I've never actually got over the fact that okay. he just dis- he slagged us like that. Yeah. But I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah, but it's it's just morale wise. Not, not, not even that. But cast back to last season, and we like you look at last season how bad, how disappointing that was. And I was even hypocritical because I remember a few years ago I was really critical of Wayne Rooney in the latter years when he used to play in midfield. Couldn't understand it. But I tell you, watching last season, he'd walk into that midfield. He'd walk into that midfield, right? So my perspective on things has, has changed down the years. But what I'm just saying is, in terms of sheer professionalism, right, he wanted to leave, right, he had whatever opinions. But... A lot of footballers do not put that effort in for that year. Nowadays, they're they're sulky babies. Cristiano Ronaldo, in fairness to him, whatever we think about, we all have our opinions, but I don't think he cares about Manchester United as much as he likes people to think. But he did put it in for that year. He did. You can't question that. He, he delivered, he performed. He had patches where he wasn't as Got good as he was. Got final and won the league. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Last season, the Ronaldo, the Ronaldo setup and the Ronaldo situation of last season could literally be a podcast in itself. There's so much you could talk about and, and go into. Did 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 Ronaldo cost only his job? Was Ronaldo the right sign? Should we have brought him back? Was it only because City were in for him? Did he upset the apple tart in the club? Was it the right thing to do for him to upset the apple tart and piss off a lot of players, or did it cause such? animosity that we crumbled there's a million different perspectives you could look at on Ronaldo through last season um, leaving all last season aside and just focusing solely on what we've heard this summer was I pissed off when I heard Ronaldo wants Champions League football probably a Georgie Mendes story who knows I don't trust Mendes or any agent the timing of it as you said was horrendous there was shades of the, of the Juventus departure where it was a couple of days shy of joining yeah. up with the club and Pulled the hole, I want to spend time with the family, blah, 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 blah. It looked bad, it looked like he was going in in tears, but I don't know, like he, he's still there, there hasn't much more been said about it, a report came out today saying Chelsea were no longer interested, luckily, because if you went to Chelsea, I'd be like a fucking lunatic. Well, when me and Sean mind. did the podcast last week, we, we both yeah. jumped to the conclusion fairly quickly when we were talking about Ronaldo that we felt that it would be a matter of him just not having that offer that he wished and this falls back mainly on Yorgi Mendes having an absolute mayor by pushing it and not quite known or not having, not having the security to fall back on because if a club like Napoli come in for Manchester or for Cristiano Ronaldo they they can't finance that deal for over a year how they'd finance that deal is by Champions League qualification which they get about 15 million for now they would probably try and use that money to to finance a Ronaldo contract over 12 months and use him in the Champions League or whatever but they couldn't sustain that for another year without having the guarantee of Champions League football no way so there's not many clubs that are going to take that gamble um and Ronaldo as we alluded to on, on that episode, is 37 years of age. I am absolutely shocked at how naive Mendes must be that he feels that after last summer, that coup that they pulled, that they still think that they can get a big deal. Ronaldo's 37. He may have scored over 20 or 24 goals last season, but clubs are clubs are not taking that gamble. Bayern Munich, for instance, they, they that would totally ramp up the way that that club is run. By, by bringing yeah. in a 37 year old and making him one of their highest paid players for in his football sense it doesn't make any sense but United had that romance and that that's why that happened but Brian I know you need to, to, to get to run to watch some Love Island so I'm going to quickly run to the, the Twitter questions um, Jazz the Journal on Twitter asks where does Ericsson fit in and what are your expectations for Van der Beek this season so Brian I get you to take the Van der Beek um, side of that so what are your expectations for, for the midfielder um, it would be very easy for me to write off Danny, Danny Van de Beek and just say he doesn't have a place in the team he obviously does he hasn't lit the world on fire he hasn't really come into the side and shown much of what he was able to give I've been led to believe 
it was due to poor training was why he was never really selected for troops by Oli. Um, it's hard to know. Who knows what happens behind closed doors, but he just has, hasn't seemed to, to gel into the team. Went to Everton, didn't do too great there either, but then you had, again, the romance of reuniting with his old coach. Can Ericton Haggs be the spark that brings Donny van der Beek to the Premier League, the player we were supposed to see when we bought him? I hope so. Of course I hope so. I hope Danny van der Beek can find a place in the team and become a top-class footballer for us and, and show us what he's about. Not entirely sure he has it, not entirely sure the league suits him, but I can see him knocking on the door for a place in the team and then again it's up to him to grab the, the bull by the horns and take his chance if he gets it and prove he should be on the side. But I don't think he's an automatic starter by any means. I think he's going to have to prove his chance, prove his, his work to the side and take his chance when it comes. Obviously with Ten Hag and this summer most of my time has been spent researching and reading and finding out what he likes and the kind of football that we can expect and hearing from on, on tour. Um, like with Van de Beek and you say that you don't think he's a player that can fit into the Premier League. That like two months ago that's what I was saying. I just I couldn't see him having a future at United in that capacity in a first teamer as a first teamer. But the more I've thought about it, and you look at these managers that have systems in place, right? Systems rather than formations, more so. Pep Guardiola, and there's been so many signings that Guardiola has brought to the Premier League from Portugal, La Liga, Germany, that a lot of people have said he doesn't have the characteristics to make it in the Premier League. He, He it's a risk. It's not going to work. Someone like Cancelo, for it, for instance, the full fullback. Now, Sean, I was only texting Sean yesterday, he made a good point to me that if Cancelo was at Manchester United, he wouldn't look anywhere near as good. And I think I think he's right, because United have a system in place, and fullbacks in, in recent years haven't been that prominent. Right now, it looks like that will change. But what, but what I'm saying about Van de Beek is, I'm very interested to see, in a preferred system, one he's very familiar with, Will we then see something on crack, like a shell? Yeah. Do you know, something actually Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, 100%. 100%. Um, hopefully, he, hopefully, Tin Hag can bring him in. And just on the Ericsson side of the question, I think Ericsson could play a number of roles in our midfield. Um, he can play wide in the right, he can play centrally, he can play as number eight. And I think it, he also gives Ten Hag an option to to take Bruno out of the team from time to time. Um, but, I, but I do believe that when Ericsson signs, he's going to be a regular in the team. Um, I know Rio said recently that he's a squad player, but for me, I think next season, Ericsson's going to be in the team most weeks and not. Um, Brian, another question from MUFC1908 on Twitter. Who is the team you reckon will beat 6-0? Who is the team I reckon will beat 6-0 this year? Um, Legion United, hands down. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that one. That's a safe option. Um, definitely, yeah. If they, well, if they play the way they did, they did under Belsa, it'll be a walk in the park. But I'm sure Marsh isn't as naive to go as gung ho in all the big games as, as the the Argentine was. Um, we still have to, we should take advantage of the times, even though we're kind of half shit. We're still definitely not as shit as Leeds. So yeah. take advantage of that and give him a drubbing again and rub it into him. Yeah, we need to have some bit of fun, don't we? Exactly. 100%. Um, Ajmal Kazman on Twitter says, how do you think Ten Hag will deal with Ronaldo when it comes to benching him? Or will he be able to do that? I honestly think Ten Hag would have no issue benching Ronaldo. I don't know why. I can't base it on anything bare. The fact he looks like that that kind of evil criminal heading him, he just looks like an absolutely fucking lunatic. He looks I like a dog's see. bollocks. <laughs> look, yeah, he look, look, he's a bald man. Bald men are great. I'm all about baldness. Um, he just he looks like he looks like he doesn't give a fuck. But anyway, he looks like this is this is me. I'm doing the job. I'm strolling into Manchester United and I'm the man for the job. So yeah, I can't see him having any issue whatsoever bitching Ronaldo. No, come back to me the first time he does and Ronaldo fires a jersey at him and Tina just looks around him. Hope the ground opens up and eats him could be a different thing, but I don't think it's an issue. No, I I, I think not to want to change the question, but I think a, a better question that I have is how Ten Hag is going to deal with Ronaldo in the sense of when this happens and there's a strop, how Ten Hag reacts, and I I I I reckon there's going to be no bullshit there. Ten Hag has to come at it from the perspective. That if Cristiano Ronaldo is there next season, 
He's there for 12 months. Now, Eric Ten Hag, he's there for much longer than that. And managers, the big, some of the biggest downfalls from managers we've seen in recent years at Manchester United is loyalty to players, to certain personnel. That has to, United need to become rootless. And one of the reports that has come out in recent weeks is that Eric Bally could stay. And a few months ago, it was reported Eric Bally was really unhappy at United, unhappy at the game time. Why all of a sudden is he fucking happy? I know he had a good game against Liverpool, but you're not playing next season. You're not playing give, regularly. Why do we give a fuck if he's happy or not? He came out six months ago and said he wanted off. The fella has played as many football games as Phil Jones. Mm. Sir Philip Anthony Jones has been injured for nine of the ten seasons he's been there. Boy, he has been injured just as much. And he's given it to the, the, the big bollocks going, I should be playing every week and I'm this and I'm that. No, you shouldn't, pal. But the, You're I, constantly I, I injured. You're an problem. absolute psychopath. I have more of a problem with his stance now. I know his stance was that I should be playing, but his stance now is... Like, you look at the situation, Manchester United are about to announce Lisandro Martinez, about to sign a new centre-back. You're not a, in the starting pitcher as it is, so why now are you happy? He's at the age where he needs to be playing football. And what this goes back to, and it's unfair that I'm single now Eric Bally, because a lot of United players have done it in, in, in the past, is these contracts that they're on. And they're yeah. staying there because they won't get the money elsewhere. Eric Bally needs to jog on. United need to be rootless. Yeah, he can have a good game in pre-season tour or whatever and get people a bit excited because he runs from um, one half of the pitch to the other like a fucking lunatic. But as much as I love him and he's entertainment, he's complete box office, United need to be rootless. And that kind of that kind of sentimental bullshit that we've seen before, keeping hold of good lads in the dressing room and that, I don't care how good he is, it's time to move him on. I think that's going... I, I, I agree with you a million percent, and I've said that exact word, rootless. That's what I demand and expect and hope United become... But the only thing, Dale, is going to take time because, like you said, the contracts are there. The contracts exist. Eric Bailly is probably on whatever he's on a week, 80, 100 grand a week. He probably sniffed around and saw, could he find another club? I'm sure he could find numerous clubs to get him on 25 grand a week. But Eric Bailly is earning a hell of a lot more at United. Hang on a second. Maybe the grass isn't always greener on the other side and I'm going to take a major financial dip if I head off into the sun. I'll sit back. Hang on. I'm happy now. I'm grand. Everton's happy. I'll chill out here, get another year or two on the big bucks and then take off. It's going to take us a few years until these stupid contracts that Ed Woodward and the club are firing out left, right and centre to every man and dog and, and their child until they wind down and we can start to get it back again. Yeah, I, saw, that, 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 that's a all massive... A lot fr- of the frustration that people have around this squad, I believe a lot of it stems down to that. To the contract, oh, the contract policy, and that has fueled so much anger because it doesn't make any sense. Like we mentioned it last week when I spoke about Liverpool's new contract for Mohamed Salah, I thought it was a really good deal. You know, they lost Mane, they they're keeping their best player who's hitting his prime, and you can accept that in three or four years, right? If they were if they were to lose him, that they can still be happy with the three years they have with him, you know. And if they were to have to replace him next year when he could have left on a free, to replace Mohamed Salah is going to cost Liverpool at least 60 million. It could cost you 80 to 90 to 100 million. It's not cheap. So it took Liverpool a long time to get that wage structure in place, but they got there. And I think that's where Manchester United really need to start working because this isn't going to happen in one year, two years. But when it starts happening, the club will be able to breed in terms of building a squad properly again yeah and like and we've seen we have seen a great exodus this summer we've seen a lot of players leave which okay I don't particularly give a shit about the Glazers financials and their income and everything but as a club as a financial institution as a club itself leave the Glazers out of it we need to get rid of those players off the books we need to become more sustainable financially as an as a financial entity you need to get your 100,000 a week idiots out of the club that are never going to play for the team they need to go and as, as the summers and as the winter breaks or the, the winter transfer windows go on, you'll see more and more of these players slightly drift off into the wind and, and head away and be replaced by players of more realistic and more clever contracts, which like I I need to just swallow a second because I feel sick saying this, but 
I do think we need to do something similar to what Liverpool have done transfer-wise, yeah, and, and, and contracts-wise. Yeah. It's, it's horrible to say it because it used to be them looking up at us, but now it's... it's well, well, it go, it goes it's realism. To, it's realism. It goes back to something that Phil Brown touched on in the podcast two weeks ago about Liverpool and the shift following Jorgen Klopp's arrival. Now, some Liverpool fans and maybe even pundits will tell you that Jorgen Klopp is all responsible for all that. He's a massive saying, of course, but... The club realised after Hicks and Gillette that it couldn't operate like Manchester United. It couldn't operate like this commercial juggernaut that maybe Todd Bowley is hoping that Chelsea can become, but he hasn't got a hope. Um, But what Liverpool then realised with John W. Henry is that they have to operate in some capacity like a football club. And they have to have people in place to get those key decisions right. Because long term, as you can see, Liverpool can make quite a bit of money off sales. We've seen it in recent years. They've been selling players to, to Bournemouth and, and, and so on and making 20 million here and there. You know, you don't do that so often and that needs to change. But what I'm, what I'm the point I'm making, so we can wrap this up, is that Liverpool reached a point after years of terrible ownership and I don't think it's great at the moment either if Liverpool fans are honest with themselves but they reached a point where they said right we need to operate as a football club we need to get that in order in in order for Liverpool to be a success because when Liverpool weren't winning titles or weren't winning weren't reaching the Champions League final and that Brian they, they weren't making much money Liverpool don't have anywhere near as much money as Manchester United and you know they, they, what what they realised is in order for them to maximise their profits, they need to be successful on the pitch. And and, 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 and that's what, what they've seen. Now, Manchester United, what I'm hoping, I'm not completely sold on the structural changes because we have to see actions. But what I'm hoping is that Richard Arnold has decided that what Ed Woodward has done to this club, although he was his sidekick, is absolutely, he should get jail time for it, Right. And he is now going to change that by saying we need to operate as a football club. And we might then start copying some of the things Liverpool did. And and that's the only way forward. By starting that wage structure, it, it, it's a massive hindrance on the club. Because as well as that, when these players don't get game time for two or three years and they say, right, I want to go out on loan, they can't do that because clubs aren't willing to take their wages. Yeah, it, it doesn't benefit anyone. It's it, it's just it's shocking and that, look like I said it won't it won't be fixed overnight but I do hope that there are plans in place for for Murto and that to, to get a good handling on it Brian um how can people follow you on social media don't I wouldn't advise it for talking <laughs> absolute load of nonsense mostly you give, you give hangover advice with 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 sponsors with yeah. Yazoo you know. Yeah, but if anyone's listening and you're a semi-professional alcoholic like myself, Banana Yazoo is absolutely amazing. Get it, give it a shake, down in one go, you're back to life. You go from zombie to human again, it's brilliant. Um, on social media, if you if you really do want to follow me, it's at Day Tripping Red. Um, I don't advise you to do it talking an awful lot of shit. That's why they listen to the podcast, Brian. You can follow me on Twitter at O'Donnell Dale and the blog as well at Strutty News. The podcast has its own Twitter handle as well, which you can follow at Strutty And I'm going to give the newsletter a plug because we're doing it five days a week. That means every morning at seven o'clock, you'll get the most insightful roundup on Manchester United. And if that sounds good, you can get it at strutty.substack.com forward slash welcome. That subscribe to the Manchester United newsletter and you get your updates every morning on transfers and whatnot. Brian, thanks so much for joining me and I'll be doing another episode after the game against Melbourne Victory where I'll be reviewing it. So that's it for this week. Speak again soon. Take it easy. Thanks, Dale. Sports Social Podcast Network.